Welcome to this week's podcast. For so many of us, prayer is an area that we want to grow in. Joining us today is Pete Gregg, a prayer pioneer who is passionate about helping people to hear God. Pete Gregg, welcome to Facing the Canon. Thanks for having me. I'm thrilled that you're here, Pete. Well, we want to hear a, a little of your own story of faith. Can I start you when you were at school? Mm-hmm. You got bad exam results. Yes. You, your girlfriend broke up with you. She did. You got a job cleaning toilets in a hospital. Mm-hmm. How was life? It was rubbish. It was absolutely rubbish and everything really fell apart. And I started to ask, is this faith that I'd grown up with true? And I felt like I was calling out to God and my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. And it all culminated one night. I remember I was in St. Mary's Church, Rygate um, at the evening service. And I thought, this is all nonsense. And I quite dramatically got up, walked down the central aisle walked out of church during the service and I ran home saying to God, I don't believe you exist. And that was the beginning of me trying to be an atheist and then making the really depressing discovery that I was even worse at atheism than I was at Christianity. That's right, because I remember remember reading in one of your books, you were telling God about your atheism. Yeah, couldn't couldn't help it. I kept talking. When you don't have to pray, you, you do it an awful lot. I kept talking to God about the fact he didn't exist and wondering... Uh, who I was talking to. And so then I slipped into kind of beige agnosticism for a while. And then God really dramatically broke back into my life, eventually. And then you eventually went to Hong Kong right, with Jackie Pullinger, who yes. I know really well. Yes. Tell us, how did you get there and what did you do? Well, th- th- there was a series of events that I now look back and realise God was speaking to me. But I think one of the things that Christian leaders often aren't very good at is giving people the boring bits and the time frames and so we condense everything and then people wonder why their lives don't look or feel quite the same so this took many months but what happened was um, first of all I was at a Christian concert that I didn't want to be at but I was there because a girl that I liked had asked for a lift and I'd just passed my driving test and um, I hated the concert because I was no longer a Christian. But a guy came up to the end and said, you spoiled that for me because I kept having a picture every time I looked at you. I saw a candle burning and then it just, the light went out and the whole room was dark. Does that mean anything to you? And I thought, you know, even though I was being quite cynical, when a stranger says that to you, you've recently given up your faith. I said, yeah, okay, it does. He said, well, I've got good news. The, the, the light comes back. I saw it light up the whole room. So then my conversation with God became, okay, how does, how does the candle come back? Because the light has definitely gone out. I was then shuffling through some Christmas cards at my grandparents' house uh, up in Scotland uh, just before Christmas, and there was a card from Brother Andrew. Yes. And the verse on the back just jumped off and winded me. I just knew that it was God speaking, and the verse was from Isaiah 58, said, Your light will shine. When, you know, because this is my question, how's it going to come? Your light will shine when you spend yourself on on behalf of the poor and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. And I just remember 
if the whole world had told me God hadn't spoken, I would still have known he had. I, yes. I just knew. So, okay, that's the answer. So he got your attention. He got my attention. Then I thought, well, what do I do about that? Someone I knew knew a friend of Jackie Pullinger's who was in Sheffield. Her name was Nicole Campbell. Good, good buddies with, with Jackie. I'd been up in Scotland skiing um, a few months later. Thought, I'll pop in on this woman. She might know something about how you spend yourself on behalf of the poor. Well, when I said to her the bit about Isaiah 58, she got up, ran out of the room, came back in with Jackie Pullinger's headed notepaper. And the top third was the entire chapter of Isaiah 58 written out, which is a really bad use of headed paper. And she said, you need to get the next flight to Hong Kong. And I did. And when I was there, I found myself, I saw miracles. That impacted me greatly. But more than that, I found myself surrounded by people who are just more like Jesus than me. And I became embarrassed to be me. Yes. And I started asking God to change my heart. So I looked back and realized God spoke to me through a vision, uh, through scripture, through godly counsel, get the next flight, and through the church, through being part of that community in Hong Kong. So it's not a bad checklist of some of the ways God speaks to us. Absolutely. I love you've got so many arrows in your quiver. One of those, you were the founder of 24-7 Prayer. Tell us about that. How did that come about? Well, Sammy and I had planted, Sammy's my wife, we'd planted at one or two churches down on the south coast and they were going quite well. That was the problem. It occurred to me God might die and I might not notice. You know, it might, the (laughs) programs are still, you know, would would go fine. And I became very spiritually hungry, hungry in the summer of 1999. It's a long time ago now. And um, I began to wake in the night. In a way, it's a little bit like what was going on in me way back in Hong Kong, actually. And I I just remember putting down my posh theology books and picking up really simple Christian books and weeping, saying, God, I need this. I want to know you. And I realized the key to the spiritual hunger I was experiencing was prayer. Everything begins and ends in prayer. Um, And So I, I, you know, we started a prayer room. Um, I I always say at that time, our our church prayer meeting had seven old ladies and a goat and the goat wasn't very committed. Yes, yes. And we stole an idea from from the Moravian Christians in, in, uh, in Southeast Germany in the 18th century who prayed nonstop for 100 years the first to take the gospel to many nations, converted John Wesley, translated the yeah. Bible. I mean, amazing. But the, but the furnace at the heart of that was a 100-year prayer meeting. Yeah. And I just thought, well, if they could pray nonstop for 100 years, let's try a month. Um, the other leaders of the church thought I was nuts because of the seven old ladies and the uncommitted goat. Yes. And I said, well, look, if we only manage a week, it's still better than nothing. Absolutely. You know? And we weren't trying to get into the Guinness Book of Records. We'd, we were just trying to learn how to pray. And... So we started on the 5th of September, 1999, and just God showed up in a warehouse in Chichester. And um, there were angelic visitations, there were healings. Atheists came and said, you can feel God in here. People began to graffiti their prayers all over the walls and the floor and the ceiling. End of the first month, we just couldn't stop. Second month, we couldn't stop. Third month, 
Well, we used to say it went viral. I don't know if we can say that anymore. Yes. And we're now, we've been praying nonstop now for, what is it, 22 years. We're in over 100 nations. Um, and we're working with everyone from the Catholics at the highest levels to the Salvation Army at street level. So it's been a, an amazing ride. But it began with just me alone with God crying, saying, I, I need to know you. I don't want to be the guy at the end of the age who presents my resume to God and says, look at all this, the stuff I did for you. And he says, nice, but we never knew each other. I, I, I was tired of outsourcing my prayer life to godly old ladies. I wanted to see the miracles. I wanted to know his presence. I wanted to learn to hear his voice for myself. Around that time, uh, Pete, your, your wife was struggling with yeah. health issues. Um, your boys called it milkshake. Yeah. She had milkshakes. And during that time, you're, you're seeking God, you're yeah. praying and your wife's not well. Yeah. How did you hold, you know, we live in this world of miracle and mystery, don't we? That's good. How yeah. did you cope with that? Yeah, I like that. Miracle and mystery. That's that's good. Yeah. I mean, the boys called the milkshakes because she was having epileptic fits left, right and centre. And um, that was because she had a brain tumour. Yeah. Um, and, you know, in a way, we're so fortunate that they were able to get it out. And it's, 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 it's not grown back. Yes. And so many people have so much harder stories than ours. But it was very difficult. And I think both the trauma of, of thinking your wife's going to die, the trauma of watching repeated seizures. She has very, very bad ones. I mean, she has to be rushed into hospital every time. Uh, and crying out for God to make them stop and it not working, which, you know, the Bible's more honest than the church, yes. isn't it? I, I just, why, why can't I just say that? It just didn't. If I'm going to say to you, sometimes my prayers do work and I see miracles, I need to be able to say sometimes it doesn't work. And it just wasn't working. And... Um, and then I was being invited because 24-7 prayer was exploding everywhere. I was yes. being invited to speak at all the biggest conferences. I mean, you name all of them. Yes. And I had to decline them all to stay home and change nappies, which I'm so grateful for, actually, now, looking yeah, back. in hindsight. Yeah. yeah. But you said, how did I cope? And the honest answer, John, is not very well. Yeah. I, I used to say, um, you know, I prayed like a, like a drunk man falling downstairs. Yeah. And, I'd, you know, I'd think about my bank account or my kids, or my wife, and I would just say, oh God, and I didn't even know if it was blasphemy or yes, prayer. Yes, yes. And um, I was worried that if I didn't pray right, like if I didn't take her to Bethel, or Lourdes, or wherever. Yeah, you're gonna miss out. I'll miss out. I and, know. And I thought, will God like eliminate us on a technicality, you know? Yes. And, um, and I used to say back then, putting my trousers on in the morning is a success, everything else is a bonus. So I was just getting through. But here's where I landed. I felt this enormous um, temptation, really, to swing one of two ways. Either to just get cynical and jaded and say, this stuff is nonsense. But I couldn't because I'd seen too much of God's goodness. And also, what hope, what hope have we got in life? Like, if you get rid of God... You've still got the brain tumour, you've just got no hope. Yes. Like, that's not good news, that's bad news. No matter how hard it is to wrestle with the pain of life, I'd rather do it with belief in life after death, a God who loves you, who's promised never to leave you, than try and do it on my own. 
So I realized I can't really go that way. I've seen too many miracles. And I, we continued through this season, we continued to see miracles. So that did my head in. And then the other temptation was actually to be superficial and pretend that everything was fine. Come on a thing like, oh yeah, and do the thing, when actually I was hurting like hell. Yes. And what I realized is the way of discipleship is paradox. I have to accept, what, what did you say, miracle? And mystery. And mystery. I've got to live with both of those You've realities. Got to live with both. And I think normal people trust that. I've not found, I found a lot of Christians hate me being honest about my questions and, you know, my struggles. They often don't like that. But non-Christians don't, they actually like, well, obviously. Because if you're an atheist and God doesn't answer your prayer, it doesn't cause you a crisis of faith. It just confirms your unbelief. It's Christians who wrestle well, with this stuff. Prayer is holding the hand of God. Yes. It's not twisting the hand of God. And how do we hold the hand of God when we're facing troubles and health issues and all of these things? How do we keep holding it? Tightly, don't you think? That's good, You know, tightly. I mean, I mean and what I like about your analogy, I, I, you've, you've got this ability to reduce profound things in such clever ways. Hold the hand of God, but don't twist the hand of God. Because, you know, um, the world is bigger than me. The universe is bigger than this little football-shaped thing in my skull. I'm not going to understand everything. You know, life is a mystery. And shock, horror, it doesn't all revolve around me. And therefore, I think as children, we learn how to trust that which we cannot understand. Because as a kid, you don't understand very much, but you're very, very good at trusting. We get older, we get worse at holding the hand, we get worse at trusting, and we, we, we think we can understand everything. And I think one thing that suffering, and maybe just life does to you, is you realise, I don't understand that much, but I can trust and I, I would say to anyone even watching this who's saying I'm wondering about Christianity but you know I've still got a load of questions I'd say to them you're always going to have a few because you can't think your way into this you can't jump to the top of the stairs in one go but just take the next step just take the hand of God like a kid would and say I don't fully understand where I'm going but I'm going to choose to trust you because it's better than all the alternatives absolutely Absolutely. Uh, there are some plants, Pete, that produce a beautiful fragrance, but they only produce a beautiful fragrance when they're crushed. Mm -hmm. And I say that yeah. in introducing your books, oh. because I know a little of your story. Uh, I can see that the crushing has actually produced an aroma that maybe you're not aware of, actually. We're not always aware of it ourselves, but I think it has produced an aroma. And your, your books are just, um, you know, full of the aroma of Christ. And uh, I, I want to talk about your new book, but I, I can't ignore some of your previous oh. titles. I think this one, God on Mute. Okay, what do we do, Pete, when it appears that God is silent. Mm. 
Well, you know, Corrie ten Boom, you'll be familiar with, who yes. survived the Holocaust, was it was in a concentration camp. Her dear old dad used to say, you know, when the train goes into a tunnel, that's not the time to get off. That's right. So that's the first thing. When you're in a season of darkness and disorientation, and it might be very scary, don't get off the train. Continue to believe the things you once believed, and they will one day come true again. And the analogy I sometimes use for that is um, sailors used to be able to navigate great distances by the stars and incredibly using a sextant, they, they, they could land for thousands of miles away using the stars. We now know that some of those stars have burnt out, right? They're no longer there, but the light's still shining because they're so far away. Sometimes you will think the very lights by which you are navigating your life aren't even there anymore. You'll question the existence of God. You'll question the truth of Scripture. But if you will stay true to the light of the things you once knew to be true, they will bring you through the darkness, through the storms, to the other side, and one day you'll realize this was reliable. So when you're in a crisis, trust in the faith of other people, even when you don't have it yourself. Trust in the things that have proved themselves true to you in the past, even if they are not feeling true at that moment. Don't separate yourself from church. Don't give up on the Bible. Don't give up on God because he is your hope and he is reliable. He's promised, actually. He said, I'll never leave you. I will never forsake you. So when you think he's absent, it's, he's not. He's just present in a different way. Absolutely. I find if you don't have a rhythm, some kind of intentionality, yeah. the day just goes. Yeah. And and I think it's great. What, what's that quote? Um, the orchestra tunes its instruments before the concert, yes. not after the concert. Yes, yes, that's good. And I think there's something about that, isn't that's it? Would good. you agree with yeah, that? Yeah, I know. And, and for years, I was slapdash with, you know, quiet times and so on. And I think I just reached a stage where I realised I can't get away with this anymore. Yeah. Probably a bit like with my diet. You know, my 20s, I could eat what I wanted, yes. didn't have to exercise. And, and now I'm 53 years old yeah. and I, I have to watch what I eat and I have to exercise. And I think spiritually that is certainly uh, the case. It kind of, it primes me. The aim of, your, of having a prayer time at the start of the day, an amazing man called Brennan Manning explained yes. this to me once over a pizza. Yeah. Uh, he said... In the contemplative tradition, we see, say you spent an hour in prayer. I mean, it could be five minutes, but say it's an hour. If you spent an hour in prayer, he said, we would see that. Not as the hour in the day when you pray. It is the hour in the day when you don't pray. You recenter on the presence of Jesus so that the other 23 hours can be prayer. So every conversation, every, everything you watch on TV, everything becomes an act of prayer. Yes. And I love that idea of recentering on Jesus so that, our whole lives can be, we can be a 24-7 prayer room, walking, talking. Absolutely, yeah. I like that um, quote. Uh, I, Who was it? Is it D.L. Moody? Someone like that who said, I never pray longer than five minutes, yeah, yeah. but I never go longer than five minutes without, without praying. praying. Yes. So there is something about being aware that wherever you are, we can engage with our creator. Yeah, every, everything. Here's where the discovery began for me was, oh, the Bible is not given for information, but for revelation and conversation. In other words, every page of the Bible is a conversation starter. 
And without it, our prayer lives can be a bit like talking to God about the weather. You just run out of things to say eventually. But actually, even if your prayer is, I don't understand this bit, if we take the Bible and start to use it to start a conversation with God, but then it goes beyond that because we can actually find all of life is a conversation Absolutely. starter with God. The movie you just saw, the person you just met at Costa or wherever it is, that becomes fuel. And then like Adam and Eve in the cool of the evening, we walk and talk with God daily. Absolutely. Your most recent book, Hot Off The Press, yes. How To Hear God. How do we hear God? Do you know what? I think I've written eight books, John, and this was the hardest. I thought it was going to be the easiest because we've all done talks about hearing God. We have. But what I discovered was this is the most important thing you'll ever learn to do and one of the most painful and confusing. The most important because um, Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. And so this is, this is what it means to have a real relationship with God. We listen to him and it changes everything. But most painful and confusing because every one of us has been hurt by someone who abused the word of God, controlling parent, cocksure preacher, a prophet trying to p manipulate political elections, whatever it was. The woman who came up to me at the end of church one day looked me in the eyes and said, God has commanded me to marry you. I mean, <laughs> this thing is yeah. confusing. Yeah. And we've all cried out to God for an answer and we needed it. And he sometimes hasn't answered the way we needed. And so this is painful and it's confusing, but vitally important. And so in the book, I, I just give some, some, some keys about the ways in which God speaks and very, very importantly, the ways in which we listen, because this really isn't a matter of theology. The theology is clear, God speaks. It's a matter of psychology, how do we listen? And that's a lot to do with the way you're wired, the way I'm wired, we might, not, we might hear God very differently. But like a radio, you've got to tune into the right frequency. Yeah. And how do we do that? Yes. Because there is so much sound out there, isn't there, Pete? Yeah. And it's confusing. I, I, th I think of um, Peter, he's in the boat and he sees someone walking on the water. And it's very interesting, isn't it? Peter says, is that you, Jesus? So uh, by implication, is it Jesus? Is it someone else? Is it the devil? Yeah. Uh, how do we discern yeah. it's God? Yeah. Well, one of the simple keys I give in the book that this really works is the, what I call the ABC. And it goes like this. That moment when you're thinking, is it God? Is it me? Is it affirming? Is it biblical? And is it Christ-like? So let's good. just walk through this. Yes. Is it affirming? 1 Corinthians 14, which is a whole chapter about the importance of prophecy. That's hearing God and speaking God's word to people. And, and by the way, the Apostle Paul says we should earnestly desire to prophesy, yes. which means we don't have the luxury of going, oh, well, I'm not into that. That's not my... This is something we should all as Christians be not just vaguely wanting, but longing for, to speak the word of God. What can be wonderful? He says that, that prophecy is for encouragement, edification, building up comfort. So it's affirming. And some people then say to me, yeah, but aren't there prophecies in the Bible that aren't very encouraging? The answer is yes, like Jeremiah. But I just think start with the easy stuff. 
once you're really good at that, you can go and do the Jeremiah thing on people. So is it affirming? Secondly, is it biblical? By which I, I don't mean, can you find a verse in Leviticus to back up what you want to do? Is it in line with the, the, the narrative of scripture? And then see, it, this is the most important one. Is it like Jesus? Does it sound like him? Does it feel like him? Does it smell like Jesus? And I think, John, if something is affirming, biblical and Christ-like, even if it's not God, it's God. Do, do you know what I mean? It, Absolutely. It, you encourage someone, you're in line with scripture, and yep. you're speaking the way Jesus would speak into their lives. And what you'll find when you apply that test is sometimes in, in miraculous ways, oh my goodness, God was speaking through me. It's the most wonderful thing. Absolutely. For those of our listeners, uh, Pete, what would you say to them? Uh, who feel that God is on mute, mm. they're struggling to pray, and they're struggling to hear God. Is there a final word of encouragement for them? And then would you pray for us? Do, do you know, what I would say to you is, hold on to the hand of God, as J. John has reminded us. When our baby son was very, very little and I was primary carer, he got chicken pox and it was a nightmare. He was scratchy and itchy, he hurt like hell. And I couldn't explain to him, because he's a baby, you won't always feel like this. It, it, it will get better. Some people even think that it's a good thing to get chicken pox and you have immunity in, in later life. The only thing I could do, honestly, was to hold him in my arms, pace up and down the landing until he fell asleep in my arms. And if you're in a season right now where you're hurting like hell. You think you might always feel this way. You don't understand there could be anything good in it. Allow the Father to show you his love. He'll do that through the Christian community, through human beings. He'll do it through his word that's true when it feels true and even when it doesn't feel true. Anchor in the things you have seen him do in the past. And those small things will actually carry you into hope for the future. So when you're struggling and when you're having a hard time, trust the goodness of God and he will carry you through because he will never leave you. He will never forsake you and he is a good, good father. Pete, thank you. Would you pray for all those who are tuned in? Yeah, it, wherever you're watching this, if it's appropriate to do so, you might like just open your hands in front of you as just a sign as John's been reminding us, praying with our bodies. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that you made us and you love us and you call us into a living conversation with you. We pray the prayer of those first disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to hear your voice. May we grow in our relationship with you. Amen. Amen. Pete, so helpful. Thank you for speaking with us today. You're, you're very gentle, you're very gracious, and you're a godly man. And uh, it was uh, a privilege to be in conversation with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on Facing the Canon. I do hope you've been inspired today and uh, I hope you have found what Pete has said heartwarming and I hope you're encouraged just to keep on persevering. 
Thank you so much for joining us on Facing the Canon. Please join us again. You've been listening to the J. John Podcast. To find out more about J. John's ministry, visit www.canonjjohn.com and follow him on social media. One doctor developed the world's first vaccine. One civil rights activist helped to end racial segregation in the USA. One botanist developed new farming practices supporting impoverished farmers. One former slave escorted 300 others to freedom. One watchmaker saved the lives of 800 Jews and refugees during World War II. One politician persisted to see slavery legally abolished in the UK. Faith, love, generosity, sacrifice, perseverance. Heroes of the Faith, the new coffee table book by J. John. Available now at canonjjohn.com.